Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I am your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by HANA One, which is an Ayurvedic herbal blend that helps your body to adapt to the different stressors we face on a daily basis, and it helps to support the immune system. To learn more about HANA One, go to summitforwellness.com slash H-A-N-A-H. Lately, we've been talking a lot about mold, which is a health issue that I have suffered a lot from over the past few years. And the topics that we have been diving into is symptoms of mold toxicity and what you can do for your environment to reduce the effects of mold and other airborne allergens. So in this episode, I brought on the founder of Molecule, which is an air purifier that helps to completely eradicate these environmental pollutants so that the living space that we are in is a lot healthier to breathe. And diving in with him, uh, we learned a lot about just different pollutants that we might be facing on a daily basis, whether it's in your house or in your car or even from the building materials that have been used to build your house. So join us in this episode to learn more about how to purify your air in a way that makes it less likely for you to be succumbed to all these airborne pollutants. But before we dive in, if you haven't gone onto iTunes to leave a rating and review and you really enjoy the show, please take a moment to go and give us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do help to get our show in front of more people, so they are very important to anybody in the podcasting industry. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes and leave us a five-second rating and review, that would be very helpful. Okay, let's dive right into my interview with the founder of Molecule, Dilip Goswami. Our guest today is Dilip Goswami, and he is the CEO of Molecule, and he also co-founded the company to commercialize the technology that helped him solve his long-standing allergy and asthma problems. Dilip previously served as VP of Technology at Advanced Technologies and Testing Laboratories, where he led research and development. He holds an MS in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University and BS from University of Florida. Thanks so much for coming on to the show, Dilip. Thank you for having me, Brian. Dilip, the past couple episodes on my podcast, we've been talking a lot about uh, mold and how it can play a role in people's health. So I'm really glad to have you on this episode to talk about the environmental pollutants that are around us and how that can uh, be a leading factor to different illnesses that we might come down with, such as allergies and asthma. So as we dive into the environmental pollutants, can you tell us a little bit about what environmental pollutants are? 
Yeah, sure. So there's kind of a range of different types of pollutants that we look at uh, in terms of being uh, environmental pollutants that really affect human health, right? So there's um, there's what we call bioaerosols. So these are um, things in the air that are of biological origin. So, you know, when you have uh, fungal spores or, you know, or, or molds, uh, there's bacteria, there's viruses, um, but then in this category, there's also things like, you know, pollen, pet dander, these kinds of things where there are small particles that can get aerosolized and they can get into the air. Um, and then there are other types of pollutants, right? The, the other class of pollutants are really, um, you know, more of a, uh, uh, not of a biological origin, although they're typically ranges of organic chemicals. So similar types of molecules, but, uh, but from a different origin, and they behave differently because um, they're they're uh, you know because of the nature of the types of pollutants, right? So there you have things like tobacco smoke. Um, you have uh, you know all of the type of industrial pollution that we get, and there's another class of pollutants that's really important called volatile organic chemicals, and these are things that are off gas from you know building materials or cleaning agents or uh, or all the you know kind of new gadgets that you bring into your home. Let's dive into some of those um, more chemical agents that you were mm -hmm. talking about that yeah. come from like the building supplies. What can those uh, type of pollutants do to one's health? Yeah, sure. So there's kind of uh, two types of response. There's the uh, there's the immediate response that you can have to high concentrations, and then there's the long term response you can have to lower uh, concentrations. That that's more of a systemic response. Um, so the short-term type of responses you can get are, um, you know, fatigue, nausea, dizziness, headaches. Um, there's a whole class of people that have what's called multi-chemical sensitivity, which is not uh, specifically a physical allergic response that your body has, um, but you get the same types of symptoms as if you were getting an allergic response in, you know, when you're exposed to certain types of chemicals in the air, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, one chemical specifically is toluene. Toluene is a uh, it's a known carcinogen, and it's a it's something that's present in gasoline. It's also present in a lot of the the you know seemingly benign things we use in our home. So, for example, um, if you read the ingredients of Febreze, uh, toluene is one of those ingredients. Believe it or not. So, um, so these types of uh, volatile organic chemicals, uh, you know, are are kind of present in a lot of these different things. And oftentimes, if you are in an environment like that, you uh, become less productive. So there was a study conducted by the Harvard School of Public Health where they looked at the concentrations of different gases and what the effects on uh, productivity were. And they were able to find that in a low VOC environment, uh, for office workers were 30% more productive than in an, in an environment with normal levels of VOCs. So in the short term, those are the types of effects that we can have. Now, I also alluded to a little bit of the long-term effect too, right? Because I mentioned that toluene is a known carcinogen. And uh, that's unfortunately the most concerning health effect associated with VOCs is that some of these, you know, formaldehyde is a particularly well-known one, um, benzene as well, uh, they're, that they're known human carcinogens. And, uh, and so even low levels of these over time uh, can create some really problematic and difficult, uh, uh, you know, responses in your body. 
Do you know if there are certain uh, building materials that are higher in these pollutants than others? Like, um, I know a lot of developers up here in Washington, that they seem to uh, turn and burn houses pretty quickly. So I'm assuming that they're using a lot cheaper material, which mm -hmm. I would also assume have more uh, chemicals and pollutants in them. But I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, so typically there's a range of things where you'll see uh, high concentrations of VOCs. Um, the two p places where there's always a, a big immediate concentration of VOCs are paints and any kind of adhesives. Um, so if you have any kind of glue, typically that glue needs to be heated up and there's fumes that come off of it and you can smell those fumes, right? They're typically very unpleasant and those fumes are all, all volatile organic compounds. Um, and then paints also, right? Now there's a new trend in paints where, um, instead of, you know, in the paint, it's the solvent. That's the thing. That's the volatile organic chemical that gets into the air and creates all these fumes. There's a trend in paints that now they have paints that, um, that use water-based solvents. And so then you don't, you know, if, if you have water, then yeah, that may evaporate to the air, but that's fine. It's water. It's just a little bit of humidity. Whereas, you know, with some of these others, um, Typically, you know, that the, the VOC levels can be pretty high. Uh, and, and it is definitely a trend that, you know, uh, you can try and get low VOC building materials. However, they are typically higher in cost. So, you know, it's a trade off that people look at. And, uh, and if you, you know, if you have clients who are not, you know, if builders, for example, have clients who are very cost sensitive, but aren't necessarily aware of these things, then they can certainly be trying to optimize for what the client is trying to optimize for, which is cost, right? Um, right. But, you know, that, that leads to, unfortunately, longer-term health consequences. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's good to know, too, because um, a lot of times people going into these new homes, they don't necessarily think on those levels that the the products that are used in creating the house might be putting off a lot more VOCs. Now, do you run into the same issue with like new vehicles as well? Yeah, so so the new car smell itself is is uh, very well known to be VOCs. Um we've uh we've you know, for example, when we bought a new car, we ran our uh uh, we ran a real-time uh, total VOC uh, detector in there. So, you know, it's total VOCs. I can't tell you, so I wouldn't know exactly which compounds were present, but the overall concentration levels were very high. And uh, certainly, you know, that can that can be problematic. Now, um, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, car manufacturers do keep an eye on VOC levels in the materials that they put into their cars. So, you know, they're trying to comply to some existing regulations about this. The problem is that those regulations are really framed around, okay, well, we need to make sure that the VOC levels are such that you don't get those immediate nausea, headaches, dizziness, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it's not really, again, thinking about the long-term systemic exposure to these VOCs and, and trying to eliminate that. And in a car, you often have surfaces that heat up, right, in the, under the sun or through operation, and uh, and every time those surfaces heat up, they're they're outgassing new materials, especially you know when the car is new. But then that can even happen over time as well. And then you also have the air system as well. So you have mm -hmm. the AC and you have the heat that's coming in, yeah. which um, you can be getting fumes in as well that can be coming through uh, those those different ways into the car, and then you're breathing that in as well. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the, that's that's another aspect that's a, that that's um, you know 
terrible about being stuck in a traffic jam, right? It's that it's not just that you're um, it's not just that you're like you know wasting a lot of time, but you're also sitting there breathing what comes out of everybody else's tailpipes around you, right? So, and and what happens in the car is that you're um, especially you know this is a misconception that people have about oh I'll just turn on my indoor air. Well, there's still there's still these different uh, pollutants that are infiltrating into your cabin, and if you turn on the indoor air. Now there's nowhere for them to go, so they're getting in there and building up and concentrating. So in many ways, you're better off kind of rolling down your windows in those situations than uh, uh, than 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 trying to keep it to indoor air because uh, you're you're actually concentrating the pollutants inside because unfortunately there's nothing that nothing in that car that can actually get rid of them. And like you said earlier, if you're sitting in traffic in the heat, then you have um, those other materials that are off-gassing as well because of the heat. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, also, earlier you were talking about uh, pet dander and stuff like that, which th- that is some things that we could control whether we have pets or not, but mm-hmm. most people do have pets, so it's yeah. it's definitely something we want to be cautious of. Yeah. But w- is there a difference between those type of... Um, pollutants compared to building material pollutants yeah so there's there's a pretty there's a pretty big difference right so um, when you think about the types of uh, uh, pollutants that are there in the air it's important to think about um, you know that you're exposed to these pollutants primarily through breathing right and you you should think about the size of those pollutants and the types of those pollutants uh, because that plays into how your body responds to those pollutants, right? So when you have pollutants that are pretty large, let's say above 100 microns in size, so a micron is, um, if you think of like a millimeter, it's a thousand times smaller than a millimeter. Uh, so 100 microns in size to 10 microns in size, in that range, your body, you know, above 100 microns, your body does a pretty good job of filtering stuff. You know, because, for example, pollen, we've evolved with with dust and pollen lived in these kinds of environments. So that stuff doesn't necessarily go deep into our lungs, right? But the things that are significantly smaller, so if you're talking about, you know, all the way down to, to one micron or, or the VOCs I mentioned, those are those are point zero 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 one micron or, you know, nanometers in size. And so they're much, even much smaller than... Um, uh, than, than, than any of these, they penetrate the deepest into your lungs and, and really can get into then your bloodstream through that respiration process. So pollens are typically a lot larger. Um, and we used to think that, okay, well, these are things that are pretty easy to trap and get rid of. The interesting thing that we've learned about things like pollen and pet dander, though, is that our allergies are not necessarily to this big giant particle of pollen or this big giant particle of pet dander. There are two very specific proteins that are contained in that entire particle, right? So there's some proteins that are maybe, you know, there in the, present in the skin cells of a cat, um, or the, or, or in the, in the pollen of that, uh, particular flower. And if you get exposed, your response in your body is really to those proteins themselves. So you can have, you know, for example, this pollen, the way that it would behave differently from, let's say, a chemical would be that, um, you know, it might get captured as a particle, let's say, in a typical filter. But as it breaks up and breaks down over time, because it's organic material, it's going to break up and decompose over time, those proteins get free and they start getting, you know, they start getting back into the air. 
So, um, you know, whereas the VOC would just pass right through, right? There's no filter. It's too small to get caught in any filter. And so, you know, in that case, you know, there's nothing, there's no real escape from it except for, you know, <laughs> with the technology that we've developed. But, um, but with the pollen, it'll initially get trapped. And then as it breaks up into those individual proteins, those then get back into the air and then you have exposure to the, uh, to the allergen again. Yeah, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is because we are talking on such a micro level, are the filters actually able to capture everything? And it sounds like it captures the bigger particles, but once the particles start breaking down, decomposing, getting smaller and smaller, then the filters start to become obsolete. Yeah, so that's something that's been really interesting and something that um, that we've, we've actually, there's been some really interesting studies uh, when we've looked at uh, air purifiers and their ability to deal with environmental pollutants, right? And um, and it's been really interesting because, you know, one thing we're very aware of is that these types of filters, you know, the fabric filters, for example, the HEPA filter, and, you know, I had a HEPA filter in my car for, for many years, um, and I changed it regularly, um, and, you know, but I noticed a few different things about it, and and really this is part of what's prompted us kind of developing our entire company. But um, but the thing about these filters is that they're really effective and they're tested against particular ranges of particles. So the, the standard for filters is really they're using uh, uh, salt particles, so sodium chloride or potassium chloride particles, and they're blowing them at these filters and they're seeing, you know, across the different size ranges of these particles, what's being captured. Now, the interesting thing about that, or the, the problem with that, is that, um, you know, that's not really reflective of the types of pollutants that we've talked about, right? So, for example, VOCs, very well known, they pass right through these types of filters. Um, even the pollen, it's much less stable. It decomposes in a natural environment. So it's much less stable than that, uh, than that salt particle. And so it's going to break up. It's not a nice crystal like that salt particle that's going to stay stable and caught on that filter. It's going to break up. It's going to decompose and stuff can get back out. Right. So, and then that's not even, we're just talking about pollen, which is not even alive. Right. Then there's the things like the molds and the, the bacteria that are alive that behave very differently from, uh, from anything that we test these filters with. So it's important to really think about exactly what the pollutants are in your particular environment and how those pollutants behave when you're coming up with plans for how you can deal or get rid, deal with those pollutants or get rid of them and not just kind of look at a generic solution like a, a typical filter that's tested with these inorganic uh, salt particles. Yeah, that's really interesting that they use salt to test them because you would think that each different pollutant would have a different molecular structure mm-hmm. and each fabric type that they use to for a filter um, might interact with those uh, molecules differently at the molecular level. So sometimes it might bind really well, but other things might slide right through. So I'm, I'm surprised that they're so limited to just testing salt particles. Well, you know, you have to think back to kind of the history of this, this industry, right? So, um, you know, the, the filter, filtration or especially HEPA filtration, you know, really took off in the 1940s. I mean, that's when the, the HEPA filter was actually invented as part of the Manhattan Project in the 1940s. And they weren't really concerned about, well, what are the environmental pollutants? How do we get rid of them? What they were concerned about at the time was, how do we deal with radioactive dust? 
because you know they had this uranium dust and there were there were problems with it and so they were really concerned about inorganic particles that have now that have some radiation properties and they want to limit they want to create filters that have ways to limit exposure to them now you know it, it just so turned out that those filters were pretty good at capturing dust and we started using them for things that they weren't necessarily intended for by the original inventors um and you know hence we have the problems uh, with these filters today where, you know, we talked about cars as an environment, right? And, uh, you know, we, I had a, I had a car where that had a HEPA filter in it. And, uh, and I was actually, that was something that I specifically looked for when I bought that car. And yet when we pulled the filter, I asked to, to look at the filter when it was pulled out after six months when we were supposed to replace it. And that filter had mold growing all over it on both sides. And that's something that, you know, we've learned is that, all these different pollutants interact with different in different ways. Uh, mold, for example, is you know something that you've been talking about, and it's a pretty ubiquitous pollutant that uh, that can grow in in many different environments as long as it's got the right level of humidity and the right temperature. And so, you know, it turned out that my filter there was the perfect perfect breeding ground for it because there was a lot of other organic dust that was captured alongside the mold that could become food for it and uh and now it became the source of the pollution instead of the uh thing that's that's dealing with it and that's been sort of um you know where a lot of these oversights have taken us is that sometimes the types of technologies that we've deployed for uh air air filtration end up contributing contributing to the problem over time as opposed to to dealing with it yeah, just like you said, the filter itself had mold on both sides. So the side that's filtering and the side that's re- supposed to release the clean air has mold on it and it's sending it right back through the system. Yeah. That's and you would hope that most buildings and most um systems are changing out the filters fast enough so that you're not running into this mold issue, but the likelihood of that actually being true is probably pretty low. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just that um the the interesting thing is that's not there's no predictable time period that you could say if i change it within x number of days that this problem will not occur and that's the problem that we have is that typically we change these filters every 6 months in most of these environments and that's of course if people are diligent in some cases it could be you know years before somebody changes one of these filters <laughs> um but even if you're diligent you know we've done experiments in the lab where we found that in as little as 90 minutes, you know, we air, we we test across. For us, it's really important because, you know, I grew up with asthma and allergies, and that was kind of a constant problem for me. And we had tried all all, all different kinds of things to um, to basically isolate me from the different triggers in the air that that caused my symptoms to occur. And uh, and you know, we felt like, oh, that should be a simple problem, right? Like I can, I have food allergies too. I can avoid not eating nuts, right? So that's not a major problem for me. It means that I have to be a little bit conscious, but it's something that's easy to avoid. But the triggers in the air were really difficult to avoid, and and the reason is because you know, when we when we look at these pollutants, we look at each pollutant individually, and making sure that you know that the way that particular pollutant behaves, you can actually get rid of it. And what we found with traditional filtration was that, you know, when we sprayed these things and, and, uh, you know, aerosolized, for example, mold spores and had them collected on a HEPA filter and you swab that filter surface and you, and you call, and you do a colony count based on what the swab has, has read, you find that in as little as 90 minutes, 
there are actually more colonies on that surface than there were initially. So after being exposed to mold, it only took 90 minutes for that HEPA filter. This is a clean HEPA filter I'm talking about, not even one that has a bunch of dirt that could be fuel for the mold. Um, a clean HEPA filter in as little as 90 minutes has more mold spores than, than what was initially sprayed. And, uh, and you know, that can continue. And, and we've seen, again, in the lab where uh, when a mold colony gets onto these filters, um, under the right conditions, it could be in three days that it could grow through the filter. So these things can sometimes happen very, very quickly. And, uh, and changing it at the required intervals is not necessarily a solution for trying to combat that problem. Yeah, that's really scary that they're proliferating that quickly and under the right conditions they're gonna that that time frame is going to speed up even faster. So wow, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's kinda scary and good to know for sure. If the filters aren't the best option, then what can we do to be able to clean out the air and be able to remove all of these particles from um our environment? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I mean, one approach is you could try and change filters very, very quickly. But again, there's still a lot of stuff that that's not dealing with. So what we did, um, you know, actually, this is a journey that we started about 20 years ago. Um, you know, at that time, I was uh, I was a teenager. And my father actually started looking to this technology because he felt that, you know, there should be some solution to get rid of these triggers from the air, uh, even if traditional filtration doesn't do it. And, uh, you know, he was at the time a distinguished universe, distinguished professor at the University of Florida, and he was doing research into solar water purification. And he felt like that technology that he was using for water purification could be applied to air purification. And so that started him on a long research journey about eight years ago. Um, I started, you know, also working with him on the technology side of it, of the business. And, uh, and, you know, we kept developing technology that was aimed at really looking at the chemical nature of these pollutants and how do you destroy them? How do you get rid of them, right? Because when you want to deal with a pollutant, just collecting that pollutant can be problematic, as, as we just talked about with filters. But what you really want to do is you want to get rid of that pollutant, right? You want to end up with, when you think about purification, you want to start with something that's dirty and you want to end up with, um, you want to end up converting it into something that's completely clean. And what we have today is really filtration, not purification. So the approach that we took uh, is it's inspired by solar energy. But what we do is we have a, um, we take that your know, traditional filter media that you might have, but we coat it with a special uh, nanoscale catalyst. And when that catalyst sees light and a pollutant strikes that catalyst, it generates a chemical reaction that's actually breaking the molecular bonds of these pollutants. Uh, so that they get completely destroyed and decomposed into just clean, clean to breathe air, right? So on that surface, there's a reaction taking place that's actually destroying the pollutants as opposed to collecting them. And so you don't have this problem of mold growing because the mold is actually getting converted into just, you know, water and CO2. Uh, you don't have the problem of the pollen, what happens when it decomposes, because we're actually breaking down all those individual proteins that make up that pollen. And when it comes to the stuff that's too small to filter, that stuff, instead of capturing it, we're actually just creating a chemical reaction for those things to get destroyed. So kind of across the range of the different pollutants that we talked about, whether it be the chemical industrial type pollutants, whether it be the pollens and allergens, or whether it be the mold viruses and bacteria, 
across the board, uh, we're able to, to actually destroy them rather than try and collect them or capture them. Can you talk a little bit more about what Molecule does to the really small particles? So, yeah, when it comes to the those smallest pollutants, what, what happens with our filter that's different from a normal filter is that we don't need to capture them on a surface. We're really just trying to get them to interact with that catalytic surface. And when they interact with that surface in the presence of light, uh, that reaction still takes place and they get broken down and they get destroyed. So... Um, so that means that instead of, and, that, and that's why we're able to deal with this full range of pollutants regardless of the size. It's because we're dealing with it through a reaction that inter- actually interacts with the, the molecules themselves as opposed to just trying to trap them in the fibers of the filter. So that's pretty interesting. So then once the the pollutants are destroyed, what happens to them? Does it just go poof? There's got to be some kind of leftover of some sort, isn't there? Yeah, so um, there's not necessarily a residue that's left over, but what's happening is all these different types of, all this organic matter in nature gets decomposed through a process that we call oxidation, okay? So if you leave, for example, an apple out and you see it start to brown, that surface is, is you know, it's being oxidized. Or even iron, for example, iron rusting, that's the oxidation process that's breaking up into iron oxide, and so this is kind of a, this is a natural chemical reaction that occurs. And that's how, you know, when you release pollutants into the air, um, eventually over time, it's not like the total number of pollutants, uh, you know, over time it has risen, but it's not like they're the same pollutants are staying stable in the atmosphere for that whole amount of time. Otherwise we'd have, you know, innumerable pollutants in the air. Um, there is a natural way that these things get decomposed. And so what we're doing is, you know, all of these different types of pollutants, they're made up of basically four elements configured in different ways. Carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen, right? These are the key um, building blocks of, uh, of nature. And so, um, you know, we, we, what we do that's a little bit different with this is, uh, is that we're, we're taking that oxidation reaction and we're accelerating it on the surface of our filter. So our, our reaction is called photoelectrochemical oxidation. And what that means is we use light and electricity to accelerate that reaction so that it's getting decomposed. And the way that we break it up is, you know, you have these chains of carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, and the resultants are, you know, CO2, they're water, they're oxygen, and nitrogen gas. And so these are the things that our our atmosphere is already made up of. You know, air is, you know, approximately 79% nitrogen. There's about 18% oxygen. There's about 1% to 4% water. And, uh, and a small percentage about, you know, less than 1% of, uh, of, uh, of CO2. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how nature takes care of it. And what we do is we really accelerate that process inside of our, uh, molecule devices. And, uh, and that's really, you know, where the, the inspiration and, and the thought process behind this came from was looking at how nature actually deals with these balloons. So using the molecule device, how long does it take to be able to purify, uh, let's say, a 100-square-foot room? Yeah, so if you have a 100-square-foot room with a standard 8-foot ceiling, um, and, you know, it just depends. It does depend on, you know, what is the mix of pollutants and the generation rate. But just to give you an idea, um, you know, we did some calculations uh, where we looked at, you know, different mold concentrations inside of a room. So... 
you know, there have been some measurements in the literature that have shown that uh, post, uh, you know, post Katrina in New Orleans, when they were looking at, you know, flood reclamation sites, they saw concentrations of mold spores in the air that were about 515,000 colony forming units per meter cubed. So it's a really large amount of, of mold spores um, per, per unit of volume in the air. And if you have that level of a concentration, let's say inside of a hypothetical sealed room, and you're running our device, then in about 78 minutes, the total concentration would decline to about 50 CFU per meter cubed from, from over 500,000. And that's about what we've measured when we've measured the air, for example, in a hospital where you know there's kind of state of the art and everything is, is very clean. So, um, you know, typically just takes about uh, a little over, little under uh, two hours uh, to 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 really get a room to to fully clean. But again, it depends on your environment. It may take a couple of days, depending on uh, on on you know your, the specifics of your particular environment. Wow! So that doesn't take very long at all, especially yeah, yeah. yeah the study looking at the the houses damaged by Katrina, those have a ton of water damage. So that's a lot of, uh, can you give me an idea of um, the concentration of the houses in that study compared to what we would typically find outside of the house? Yeah. So that's, that's a really interesting thing. Um, I don't, that study didn't have particular, particularly the concentrations outside of the house, but they went back and did a study where after they renovated the homes, they looked at the concentration of mold inside and outside the home, assuming that, okay, the renovation has declined the concentrations from when they were flood damaged, and that was the case. Um, but what they found was really interesting, that even after they did the full renovation on the house, they still found elevated levels of mold as compared to the outdoors. I mean, not hugely elevated, but, you know, let's say if you have about hundred, you know, about 10% higher concentrations indoors as compared to out of doors. So even after doing all of that extensive renovation work, um, they found that unfortunately there was still more, you're still getting more of a mold exposure indoors as compared to outdoors in that exact environment. We haven't really talked about that at all yet, but can you talk about why uh, you find more pollutants concentrated inside of a building compared to outside? Yeah, th that's a really interesting subject, and there's there's been a lot of really interesting uh, work done in this field. But um, you know, the EPA has actually been saying for decades now that the that indoor air is is five times or sometimes even a hundred times more polluted than the air outdoors, and uh, and you know, we haven't really had a solution for this for a very long period of time. Um, and and really, what it comes down to is kind of two factors. One is you have a build, you just think about a building outside versus inside, right? And let's say you release the same amount of pollutants outside and inside. Well, what happens outside is there's wind and pressure that make that pollutant diffuse kind of throughout the atmosphere, right? So that, you know, you may have a set concentration of pollutants, but they're getting spread out over a huge volume, right? The, you know, of area. Now, what happens indoors is that those pollutants actually concentrate and build up, right? Because you're isolating them. You're placing them in an environment where um, there's not a lot of places for them to escape and there's not a lot of natural mechanisms to destroy them. And then unfortunately, you have technologies that are additionally contributing to uh, to the pollution indoors. You know, we talked about how 
how filters can fail and become sources of these things. So all of those different factors contribute to um, the, the indoors being more polluted than the outdoors. Essentially, uh, indoors, there's the ability for these pollutants to build up and concentrate. And that's why, you know, sometimes you can be sitting in a building, it can feel very stuffy, and you're like, I need a breath of fresh air. That's your body naturally responding to the concentration of, uh, of indoor air pollutants and wanting to move to an environment that has a lower concentration. Even if you're not conscious of it, that's what's actually occurring. That's good to know, too, because most of us spend most of our time inside of some sort of building, whether it's our house or at work or um, wherever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in similar studies, they've shown that, um, you know, in, at least in the U.S., we spend about 90% of our time indoors, which, is, which can be a little bit depressing to think about, right? But, um, you know, it's a, it, it, there, I, I've definitely spent plenty of, uh, of beautiful days, unfortunately, stuck most of the time indoors. So, uh, so I know the feeling. But, uh, but yeah, we spend most of our time there. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't really considered or thought about what effects that has on our bodies based on, uh, based on the pollutant levels in those places. So with your product, Molecule, does it clean the air to be similar to what it is outside or does it clean it to be cleaner than if you were outside or what's the relevance to like the outside air quality? Yeah. So, you know, our goal with these devices is really to get you to um, get you to those, the you know, similar to outdoor and not in every environment. Right. But uh, at least in the similar to a healthy concentration levels, the way that I would put it as opposed to just looking at indoors and outdoors, right? Because, um, you know, you can have some environments, for example, um, you know, in India and China, or even, you know, let's say in, uh, in urban areas uh, here in the U.S., where the pollutant levels outdoors can also be problematic, right? Um, and so we want to get to a healthy exposure level where, you know, there, there's still going to be, even if you run our device, there's still going to be some level of, of background air pollution but it should be the amount that's actually healthy for you that's not so large that your body can't deal with it, right? Because we have natural mechanisms to deal with these pollutants, and uh, and many of them have existed for as long as, you know, for even longer than we've existed. So we've kind of lived and evolved alongside them. But the problem is that we're now particularly putting ourselves into situations where we have very, very high concentrations of these pollutants. And so that's overloading our body's ability to deal with them. And so we've got to, got to kind of get those concentrations back into shape so that we're being exposed to kind of a reasonable level that our bodies are able to deal with. Awesome. This is really great information. Do you have like a specific population that you want to reach out to with a Molecule or is it something that you think everybody should be using? Well, it's really interesting to me that you've been you've been talking about mold specifically because mold in particular is a uh, is a really critical area where um, you know people may think that filters are the solution or they may think that okay if I get rid of some visible mold that I've solved the problem um, but really it's it's about uh, it's about the mold in the air. And you can see that from just leaving any bit of food outside, right? Mold is going to start growing even if the surface has been scrubbed completely clean. There's eventually that food will become moldy if you leave it out, you know, no matter what. And even, if, for example, in a very controlled environment 
like your fridge, mold will eventually begin growing, right? So um, getting rid of the mold in the air, keeping that mold concentration in the air at a level that is not overwhelming your body is really important. And so I think that's a particular use case that's really important. The other piece that I'd like to highlight, you know, just because it's the spring and we're in allergy season, and right. as somebody who's prolifically suffered from allergies in the past, I can tell you that uh, I would not, you know, uh, until we had kind of, the, the nice the nice part of this for me is that because we've been developing this for many many years I've had prototypes in my year in my uh, room for many many years and so you know in some ways I almost forgot what it was like to deal with allergy season without one of these devices um, but uh, but but you know now we've heard from a lot of customers about the difference that it's making in their lives during allergy season and so I would say if you have the opportunity then please, uh, check us out. Uh, you know, please check out Molecule during during allergy season. Um, we've done some really interesting studies that have shown some some really promising initial results that we can really uh, you know make some make a difference for people's allergy symptoms. So I invite anybody to please you know check it out and see if it works for them. Awesome! Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, people can learn more at Molecule, and that's M O L E K U L E dot com. And uh, what's your social media platforms that you're on? Uh, so you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you know, all of, all of the different platforms that you please check us out. That uh, I think we're just Molecule Air. So Molecule uh, with a K, as you mentioned, and then A I R. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Dilip. Yeah, I appreciate you. you, and I, I'm glad that there's a device like this out there that is uh, taking care of these indoor pollutants on a much different level than just trying to filter them out. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. So if you are suffering from seasonal allergies or you have any kind of asthma or if you believe that your building might be infested with mold, then it might be worthwhile to go take a look at Molecule to see if their air purifier is something that would benefit your own health. Now, I do not make any money or commission by promoting this product. I just think it's a very valuable tool that people can use to improve their health. And suffering from uh, mold toxicity like myself, I know how important it is to have a really healthy environment to live in. That way you can perform as optimally as you should be able to perform. Now, throughout the years, there has been a lot of different talk about whether we should be purifying indoor air or not. And if the purification of the indoor air is making us more susceptible to different illnesses and diseases because we're not breathing in a lot of these different bacteria and viruses that might be floating through the air. And after listening to this episode, now we know that the concentration of these particles within the indoor environments is so much greater than what we would face outside. So to be able to purify it at least a little bit, I think would do wonders to our health, especially to help those that are suffering from mold toxicity or asthma or pet dander or anything along those lines. So definitely go check out Molecule, and that's with a K, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E. And let me know what your experience is using their air purifier. Now, next week, we have Dr. Stephanie Davis, who has come on to talk all about eczema. So we'll talk about different ways and strategies that 
if you are suffering from eczema, to be able to eradicate it from your body and your skin. So be on the lookout for that episode next week. And keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we will see you next time.